What's good, good people? Good morning, Third Street. I miss you guys. We are in a new series called Provoked. Can you look to your left and right and say provoked? A little bit more unfinished. Look to your left or your right and say provoked. We are in a new series again called Provoked, and it is out of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Today we will be in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And today is called Provoked by Pain. Um, we're going to talk about Hannah. Hannah's name means, means grace. It means unmerited favor. It's a, it's a favor that you can't work for. It's a, it's a favor that you're not worthy of. And I want to talk about a certain type of pain today. Um, I want to talk about a type, a type of pain that You think that it's one thing that you're struggling with, but in all actuality, it's something else. I've said this before, and it's Jesus talking to the wind and the waves. It's him recognizing that if he only tells the waves that the waves are an issue, that the waves will become an issue again if he doesn't talk to the wind. Because the waves are only an issue because the wind is an issue. I could think of my, my youngest son telling me that he has a runny nose, like the runny nose is the issue. But if I just keep wiping his nose, only thing that's going to happen is his nose is going to become raw. It's actually something deeper than just the runny nose. So we have a pain that I want to talk about today. And I want you to know that sometimes the pain, the thing that you've been crying about, the thing that you've been struggling with, the thing that has made you feel like you're in darkness, that's not actually the issue. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read through one verse at a time, starting with verse 1, going through verse 8. Now, I messed up because I was supposed to go on Bible Gateway this morning and listen to the guy talk so I can hear how he pronounces all these words. So there was a man from... Ramathium, Zophim, in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second named, I'm going to call her Penina. Penina, let's get a vote because we're going to hear this name a lot. Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship. So he was a man that truly had a relationship with God because what he would have to do is he would have to get his sacrifice. He would have to get his family. He would have to get a lot, and they would go to Shiloh to sacrifice. Every year to worship, sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, like Phinehas and Ferb, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he would always, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. The culture would have said that the only reason that you loved your wife was because she was able to give you children. 
The community would have said the only reason why he should have loved Hannah was because she was able to conceive. But the Bible says he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival was his other wife. And this is the struggle. If you, if you know um, a lot about the Bible, normally when they talk about marriage and they start saying wives in order, they're talking about which one he married first, and then it keeps going until the last one that he married. So it could be said that the reason why he married Panina in the first place was because of the fact that Hannah did not conceive. But I continue, her rival would taunt her. This is the other wife. Severely, just to provoke her, say provoke. Because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving year after year, season after season, time after time. When she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and she would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband, Elkanah, would ask. I'm actually going to go to verse 10. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? No, you're not. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest, Eli, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, deeply in pain, deeply in agony, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Look to your neighbor and say pain. Today I want to talk about pain. I want to talk about your reaction to it. I want to talk about how pain makes you change your mind. It makes you change your opinion. It makes you change how you act. It makes you change how you react. I'm talking about a pain that's kept you up late. A pain that's made you not be able to see the light. That's made you feel like darkness is the only thing that you have. A pain that's made you cry out. A pain that's made you fall down, a, ma- a pain that's made you fall out, a pain that's made you scream out, a, pra- a pain that's made you tear up, a deep pain, a, ta- a-, a pain that nobody else can understand. But I want you to understand your pain has a purpose. And it leads me to my step one. My step one is you have to take something for that. You can't rub that in. You can't rub that in. You have to take something for that. Uh, Normally when we hear the phrase, you have to, you can't rub that in or don't rub that in or you just going to rub that in. It means that you're just making it worse. Whatever you're doing, either you're, whether you're doing it on purpose or you're doing it on accident, like you're, you're antagonizing, you're, you're just making things worse. If you grew up in a household like mine's, if you were bleeding, something was broken, if, if your nose was runny, if you had a headache, my dad had a remedy. He said, all you need is to go lay down. Just go take a nap. Dad, I think this finger is not supposed to go in the direction that it's going. My other fingers are all going straight, but this finger is going to the side. It's okay. Just go take a nap. Go ahead and lay down. Dad, like the Band-Aid that you gave me, yeah, like I can see the blood on the other side of the Band-Aid. It's, the bandage is not helping. Let me see. Are you right? Go ahead and lay down. Take a nap. 
we have created a posture of taking a nap on pain, of just getting through it. And what we've done is we've allowed ourselves to bleed through and tell ourselves we don't need the doctor. We can just deal with this pain. And we went to sleep with this pain. We took a nap with this pain. We went through marriage through this pain. We've been husbands through this pain. We've been wives through this pain. We've been, we've been, we've been brothers and sisters and friends through this pain. We went to school through this pain. We went to work through this pain. We clocked in through this pain. We clocked out through this pain. And I'm here to tell you that God has not created you to just live life in pain. I got to show y'all a video real quick. Can you, uh, can you, can you cue my video? <laughs> Look at this one right here. Look at this one. This is Jordan. <laughs> That's not me actually grabbing his foot. That's another concerned parent. I'm the one videotaping and laughing. So when he got up, I said, get in the back seat, take a nap. <laughs> it just, it just, my father's it's upbringing, it just, it carried on to me. So when my mom, when my mom seen this video, she called me immediately. Do you got some mustard? Give him some mustard. And my mom is one of those type of people that, like, back in the days, she would say some things that I really didn't think were uh, something that Dish would tell me I'll say, right? Like, not this particularly, but one of those things, like, all you need to do is, I remember my sister telling me this, and I'm sure she got it from my mom, just put a, 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 a rotten egg in a sock and put the sock on the door, top of the doorpost, put some sugar underneath your bed, and put two coins in your pocket, take a nap, and when you wake up, the pneumonia will be gone. Like, that's the type of things that I can remember. So I had the dad that was taking a nap, and then I had the mom that was, do you got some mustard? Give him, give him some mustard. Now, the thing about it is I Googled it, and mustard actually has an acid in it that takes away cramps, right? So my mom called me and was like, do you have some mustard? I'm like, no, mom, I, I'm at the gym. I don't just carry around. Mustard. So she was like, well, you need to start carrying around mustard so that boy don't be cramping up. So the next day, Jordan was like, hey, mom's, Grandma Mana said that uh, I need to put some mustard in my bag so I can keep mustard on me just in case I cramp up. So then the day after that, my mom called me like, hey, how's Jordan doing? Y'all got, uh, got that mustard. Y'all been carrying around that mustard. And then she went to tell me a story. She said there was one day I was at this barbecue, and I'm guessing she was singing. Um, my mom's a, a very good singer, and some people call her and just ask her to pop up at random places to sing. And as you know, this was a hot summer, so I'm guessing she was uh, sweating profusely. And what happened was she cramped up. And she said, all I, I'm going to try my best to finish this story. She said, all I remember hearing was somebody say, hey, go get some mustard. She needs some mustard. And she said she was cramping up real bad. She could feel the Charlie horse. It was going like, it was like, it was like Jordan. It's like, I'm cramping up everywhere. So in the midst of her pain, in the midst of everything she was going through, when they brought her the mustard, she said she just grabbed the mustard and she started rubbing it all on her legs and on her calves and on her feet. And she started rubbing it in making it worse. 
Because as I said, like you're actually, when I said take the mustard, you're supposed to actually eat the mustard. But sometimes in life, when you're given something that's supposed to actually make you better, when you're in pain, you, you use it the wrong way. How many times in life have you been in so much pain that someone gave you something, let's just call it the word of God, and you've changed it and used it in a way that was beneficial to you in your thought process, and all you did was make things worse? She was supposed to take it, but instead she had yellow legs. The pain caused her to utilize something in the wrong way. Hannah was going through some pain. And this whole season in Shiloh was meant to be for greatness. There was a reason why he gave her a double portion. He was trying to make up for the fact that she had no children. Because for Panina, Panina, however you want to say it, he would give her her offering for Shiloh, and then she, he would give each child an offering for Shiloh. But for her, he would give her a double portion so that when she got to the place that she was going to sacrifice to God, when they would have that sacrifice, that sacrificial meal, that she wouldn't feel like she did not have. She wouldn't feel the pain that he knew that she would feel. But the Bible says, can you bring that, can you bring that word back up here? I know it says season in and season out. It says year in and year out. Let's go to verse 7. It says he gave her the double portion. Her rival would taunt her severely because the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Year after year when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. And Hannah would weep and then she would not eat. You could take it away. She would she would weep, and then she would not eat. I don't want you to see that would not eat and think that she just pushed her plate away, and that's all it was. The point of them eating this was this was the sacrificial meal. This was a part of her sacrifice. This was a part of what she felt that she was doing unto the Lord. And what would happen is someone would provoke her year in and year out. So every single time that she would go to Shiloh, Every single time that she would go to church, every single time she would go to this secret place, every single time that she would go to a place that where she actually had an opportunity to sacrifice unto the Lord and build back up for everything that she has been losing and everything that she had been going through and all the times that she had cried and all the times that she felt alone and all the times that she felt weak and all the times that she couldn't feel light and all the times that she couldn't feel God, every time that she would get to a place to where she was actually supposed to get better she would push her plate away she would stop the process she would rub it in she would make it worse because she felt like her pain was actually the issue of her not having a child and that's the part that I want to talk about you guys know I'm a little different I don't feel like the actual issue is the fact that she was childless I feel like the actual issue is the fact that she felt alone. The fact that she felt alone in this childlessness. The fact that she felt alone in the midst of what she was going through. The fact that she felt alone in her pain. 
I think sometimes, we talked about this uh, two days ago in um, our, our huddle leaders dinner. I think sometimes we become entitled as Christians. We talked about counting the costs. Um, in my household right now, everything costs something. We've literally uh, remodeled our bathroom, the whole shower and all that type of stuff. We've redone the floor. Um, it took four months for the dude to half fix it, and then three days for Batty and Brandon to come in and fix everything that he messed up. <laughs> we, we, have, we have to buy like 16 different things in our kitchen. We've had to buy a new washer and dryer. Like everything is breaking. We've had to fix the air conditioner on the outside. We've had to fix the water uh, thing of a jigger in the basement. It's like everything is going wrong. And even though these things are broken, when I call someone and I say, hey, I need you to come out here, like unsight unseen, I need you to tell me how much this is going to cost to fix this. Like I got a hole the size of six chairs in my ceiling. And I know like I don't have the measurements, but before you even come out here, how much is it going to cost? Because when I think of everything that's worldly, the first thing I think of is I know I want to get it fixed, but depends on how much it costs. But when it comes to Christianity, how often do we just think of the fixing and not what it's going to cost us? Did Hannah really stop and think about what she was going through in the essence of what it cost her? or in the essence of just getting it fixed. There's a difference between being provoked and being entitled. I had to read through 1 Samuel like all the way to the end and kind of see like where was the promise? Where did God tell Hannah she was going to have children? Where did he promise her that she was going to have children? Or did she look at what the culture said she was supposed to have? Look at what the community said she was supposed to have. Look at what she was being provoked by by the other wife and just became angry and, and, and hurt and broken by the fact that she did not have what she wanted instead of asking God, is this something that you have for me? And I don't want to disrespect any woman here because I don't know what it feels like to go through that situation. But let's take the pregnancy out. In our community, how many times have we made mad at God because he's not giving us something that he never told us that he was going to give us in the first place? But the only reason why we actually want it is because the community has said they will only love me if I have this. Our culture has said they will not love me if I don't have this. But if we look at the scriptures, it tells us that her husband loved her regardless of the fact. So much so that he said, isn't my love for you? And the double portion that I've been giving you better than you actually having 10 sons in the first place? And the answer again is no. And the reason why is because her pain wasn't actually in the fact that she did not have children. And that's what I want to get to. My step two, my point two, is God is not your yes man. Every grown man in here has a yes man. We have a person that we could call no, no matter how wrong we are. And when we explain to them the situation, they're going to say, yeah, man, I feel you. Yeah, I'd have did the same thing. Yeah, I'd have said the same thing. Yeah, you was right for doing that. So for all the women that's shaking your head, every woman in here has a yes woman. 
You have that one friend that you can call at any time and say, you won't believe what he had the nerve to say. And she's going to be like, girl, no, he didn't. What you say? Girl, I said, da-da-da-da-da. That's exactly what I would have said. God is not that. He is not your yes man. He is not the person that you go to each and every time that you want to hear a yes. Each and every time that you feel urged to get something or receive something or have something. What do we covet so much that the blessing becomes idolatry? Pain will make you idolize what you want and not God. And that's what I feel like the issue is. I feel like Hannah's issue is the fact that she was alone in the midst of something that she actually had pain about, but that pain was just the runny nose. It wasn't the actual issue. The actual issue was that she didn't feel the presence of God in the midst of what she was going through. And the reason why she didn't feel the presence of God in the midst of what she was going through is because every time that she felt pain, she pushed God away. Every time she felt pain, she pushed the plate away. I no longer want to sacrifice. I'm not going to huddle. I'm not going to church. I'm not joining your ministry. I'm not joining. I'm not helping. I'm not volunteering. I'm not doing any of that because I'm in pain. I don't feel like doing that. Don't you know what I'm going through? Let me know. Let me let you know what I am not saying. I'm not saying that you're not in pain. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt. But what I'm asking you is the thing that you want because of the pain, has it become your idol? Paul said three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He was pleading with the Lord for a yes. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you in the midst of what you do not have. In the midst of your pain, I know you're hurting. But the yes that you're looking for, no. What was Paul's response? Okay, well then if I can't have a yes, then I'm going to boast in your no. I'm going to boast in the weakness. I'm going to boast in what I don't have. Why? Because I've been insulted. I've been through hardships. I've been, I've, been, I've been in the midst of weakness. It's hard for me to walk. It's hard for me to do ministry. Each place that I go to, I find myself in the midst of a panina. I find myself in the midst of somebody that says, if you're a child of God, why are you going through that? And the fact that I know that I'm able to smile, give them a, a, a good word and a praise and still worship him, I know that he's with me so that I'm going to boast him. My grace is made sufficient for you in your weakness because I'm with you, not that thing that you've been idolizing. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in what I don't have in my weakness so that what Christ's power may rest on me we've been powerless because we've been looking for the blessing and not the blesser that is why for Christ's sake he says I delight in my weakness I delight in what I don't have I delight when they insult me and I know that they're insulting me but I still have Christ right here next to me in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, that is when I am in my strongest state. And I know what some of you are thinking, but KT, my relationship with God is better than what Paul's was. So God don't tell me no, like he tell Paul no. Well, I would have to go 
to where he told Jesus no three times. When Jesus said, please, Lord, take this cup from me, your son, the only one, the one that is you, the one that was there when you said, let there be light, the one that nothing was created without, I got a favor that I'm trying to ask of you. I'm in pain. So much so that while I sweat, blood is coming down from my forehead. I'm in agony. What they're about to do is something that no man should ever go through. And if you would just take this cup from me. But if it's not going to go my way, then let it go your way. God said no. All right, disciples, wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Stop going to sleep. Hey, Lord, it's me again. I know you said no last time. But whoop-de-whoop-whoop. Disciples, wake up, man. I just talked to y'all a couple seconds ago. Lord, it's me again. Now I got to go back and wake them up again because the Lord didn't told me no three times. God is not your yes man. He wasn't Paul's yes man. He wasn't Jesus' yes man. He's not Corey's yes man. He's not Rachel's yes man. He's not Big Hair's yes man. He's not Rev's yes man. He is none of our yes man. He is not the person that you go to because you're in pain and all I want is for something else. No, Lord, I'm in pain and all I need is you. You are my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. Because when I have you as my shepherd, you're all I actually need. And when I recognize that you're all I actually need, you'll give me what I actually want. The kingdom. Seek it. And everything in it. And everything else will be added unto you. Why do you think he's saying that? Because he wants God. He wants Jesus not to be your yes man, but he wants you to want to be his wingman. What Jesus do you seek? When you're in a truck and it's freezing and you got no blanket and no gas, you, get, you, you go to pick up the phone to call Batty, battery dead. And as you're sitting there, Jesus comes in and he breaks your window in. And Jesus jumps in through the window and he pulls you out of the car and he puts you in his car and he gives you a blanket and he turns the heat on. And then he goes off to find somebody else. Is that the Jesus you desire? The Jesus that saves you, leaves you in the car by yourself with everything that you've asked for, and then goes off to save somebody else? Or do you desire the Jesus that busts your window in, jumps in, has no blanket, and says, all I got is me? What if that's what we have? Me and you just freeze to death in this car together. Which blessing is it that you seek? The Jesus that blesses you and then walks away as the blesser or the Jesus that says, I have no blessing for you. But in the midst of your pain, I will sit here and I will freeze with you. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. But if you don't give me what is possible, I'm not going to stop calling you Abba. Our pain is not that we are without. It's not that we are without the thing that we seek. It's that we are without him in the midst of what we're seeking. 
Paul says, if we are his children, we do get his glory, but we also get his suffering. He doesn't say that we will suffer alone, but he said that we will be co-sufferers. What blessing are you so preoccupied with? That we would rather go through being blessed without him than suffering with him. We sever so many relationships in church because we expect for this to be the place where we have refuge. It's our house. This was Hannah's house. She wasn't treated like this in the streets. She was treated like this in a place that she expected to be loved. That she expected to to find peace. That she expected to find joy. That she expected to see grace and mercy. But what she found was she found that every time she would be in this place where she expected one thing, she would be provoked. Leads me to my last point. I won't keep pouring into a broken vessel. I tell you, I tell you how my brother told it to me. I'm tired of seeing my oil on the floor. He said, he said, I work too hard for this oil. Everybody here knows a person who says something negative. Almost every time you see them, because their expectation is if they say something negative around you, you'll say something positive about them. I'm going to say something negative about me so you can say something positive about me because I need you to clap for me. Because I'm not strong enough to clap for myself. That type of brokenness, you can't live life in. You can't live in season and out of season as a broken vessel. Because eventually what people are going to say is, I'm just no longer going to pour into you. And you wonder why you text certain people and you call certain people who you've been texting and you've been calling for years. And now all of a sudden they won't respond. Because they're tired of seeing their oil on the floor. The anointing that I have is not to brag about, but I do have it. And the fact that I have it comes from a very broken place. You don't know what it took to get this oil. Woo! The marriage that was almost sabotaged. The children that were almost left alone. The suicidal thoughts. The brokenness. The darkness. The running away. The lying. It took a lot to get this oil. To pour into a broken vessel, continuously to watch the oil be on the floor. If I put a vessel up here and you've seen me pour into it and you watch the water literally fall off of this table and go onto the floor and you've seen it dripping. And then I said, now everybody come up here and pour in. Some of y'all are going to be like, man, you got me jacked up. I'm not going to get up and walk all the way up to here to pour into something that I've already seen is, is, is leaking. We see that you're leaking. 
We've seen that he poured into you and nothing happened, and she poured into you and nothing happened, and they poured into you and nothing happened, and they poured into you and nothing happened. And the reason why is because my oil don't fix vessels. You have to go to the vessel fixer first. How many times have we called on Facebook to fix our vessel? Have we called, hey, Chad, man, can you fix my vessel? I've seen you fix so many different things in the community, and my vessel is broken. So, Mr. Miner, can you please? No, I can't. Only thing that I'm here for is pouring. But we continuously go to pours like they're molders, and they are not. We become entitled so much so that we won't actually go the extra mile to actually have a relationship with the fixer because it's easier to just go a couple of yards and have a relationship with the poor. I hope y'all not mad at me. It's like real silent in here. You want me to clap for you when you aren't willing to clap for yourself and that's not, that's not, the, that's not the posture of the God that we serve. Day one, what did God do? Claps for himself. The first day ever. The first day that ever existed. God looked at it and was like, shoot, it's cold. Was it done, Dojo? He looked at something that wasn't finished yet and was like, this cold. Why isn't your life that cold to you? Why can't you clap for yourself even though you're not finished yet? Because the first day this is cold was different than the seventh day this is cold. But the second day he still looked at something that wasn't complete yet and said, man, this is cold. And then the third day he was like, man, I'm telling you, I'm not done yet. I'm still in construction, but this is good. Hey, Jesus, come look at this. Hey, Holy Spirit, come look at what I'm not done with yet, but it's looking so good. Then the fourth day and the fifth day and the sixth day. And then when he got to the seventh day, he said, hey, man, what I did on the first day is starting to collaborate with what I did on the sixth day. And this ain't cold no more. This is very good. This is amazing. I can't wait until our church gets to an understanding that if we would just go day in and day out, your joy will start collaborating with your peace. Your peace will start collaborating with your righteousness, the righteousness that brings forth belief and the righteousness that brings forth trust. Oh, you thought that your righteousness was only in the fact that you did not sin. Oh, no. Righteousness also is when we just trust in him and it has nothing to do with your actions. He said, Abraham believed in me and he walked in such a way that his sin was blameless and it was counted to him as righteousness. But he said, other people just trusted me and it's counting to them as righteousness, too. When your joy starts collaborating with your peace and your peace start collaborating with your righteousness and your righteousness start collaborating with your faith and your faith start collaborating with your long suffering and your long suffering starts collaborating with your strength and your strength. I'm trying to tell you that if you would just go in day in and day out and just clap for yourself. Understanding that the God that is fixing you is putting you into a place that when somebody pours into you, it won't leak. Hannah got to a space where she no longer wanted to rub it in. Can you bring that scripture back up one more, one more time? She couldn't rub it in no more. She couldn't push the plate away no more. She no longer wanted his double portion. 
She came to the understanding that his hug isn't enough. His love isn't enough. Him buying me stuff isn't enough. Them bringing me stuff isn't enough. Them sending me a text message isn't enough. Them hearting my picture isn't enough. Them praying for me isn't enough. Me thinking that me actually going the extra mile for myself isn't enough. Let's go to verse 9. It said it got to a point to where she looked at her tears and she looked at everything that she was going through and she looked at the fact that this has been going on year after year, season after season, and I'm tired of crying and I'm tired of worrying. I'm tired of being mad at the same woman. I'm tired of being mad at the same husband who keeps trying to make things better and the only thing he's doing is making things worse. And it says she got up. Deeply hurt. She prayed, go down one more scripture, to the Lord, wept with many tears. And where did she go? To the throne of grace. No longer sitting at the table of sacrifice, but going to the actual father himself and saying, Lord, we ain't going to get into that, what she said, because that's, that's for next week. But my point is, she realized what I need is not at the table. It's at his feet. What you need, it's only, it only can be received at his feet. Otherwise, you'll continuously be year in and year in and year out and year out. You'll be provoked by the same person that you keep saying you don't care nothing about. I don't care nothing about what they be saying, but every time they talk, next thing you know, you weeping again. Sometimes it's not even when they talk. Sometimes it's the fact that they're not talking. The fact that they won't give you no attention. The fact that they won't feed into your pain. The fact that they won't clap for you no more. And God is saying, what you need is right here at my throne. 